the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. All right. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy. I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ here in Cape Creek, Arizona. Well, there is just a lot going on. There's always things going on in the news, but man, it just seems like every day, every second, you turn on the radio, you, you turn on the TV, or now, nowadays you get online with your phone, your tablet, your, your computer, and the, the news is just negative, negative and negative. Our country does this to this people, and our country has done this to that country, and our and this, that, and the other, and how bad we are. We are, are such bad people. And when you hear that over and over and over again, you begin to believe it. And that is true. I mean, we, we see that with, with children, right? No matter how good the child is, if you have a, abusive parents or a, a, abusive guardians or, or whatever, and they just keep telling the kid how bad they are or just using negative statements for them after a period of time they just begin to believe it and and i think uh, to a certain level that's happening happening to us there are a lot of bad things happening in this country there's a lot of things our country does that are not good but we are not completely lost i think we can still make changes, we can still do good, and we still do good things. But I do believe we've lost sight of those things. There's a lot of evil things out there that are distracting us from doing good things. And of course, Satan uses that as one of his tools as well, especially toward the individual. When you begin to do good things, when you begin to do the things that the Lord God wants you to do, he tries to find that anything, anything at all, that will distract you from getting you to do evil things to even do, getting you to do good things, that are not necessarily things that are uh, going to be good in the sense that uh, this is what God wants you to do for his kingdom, but the world and we will see it as doing good. These are good things. For for example, every, we know if you're listening to this program, it's a, we're on a religious uh, station, a 1010 a KXXT, every Tuesday, 4 o'clock. We, we all know you need to go to the worship service on Sunday morning. And at the, the best of your ability, uh, whatever it is, it is your, you, you can get done to get there on Sunday night and Wednesday night and be part of the fellowship of the congregation you attend. Because that is a good thing. It helps you grow spiritually. It draws you closer to good people who, who also want to know more about the Word of God. And, and Satan, he doesn't want you to do that. And so in our minds, we think, well, Satan's going to try to distract me, but he's going to use evil, sinful things. He's going to want me to sin here or sin there. And, and so we're always on guard for, for that, at least most of, the, most of us and most of the time. 
But he's no fool, Satan. He knows that the best way to get you to not go to services is to not get you to do these things. That it's because that's, that's making you more spiritually strong. So not to get you to do things that, that are evil, because you'll, you'll see and recognize that. But if he can get you to do something that you think is good, that you're doing a good thing, and you don't feel so bad about missing the services, well, that is what he's going to use. Yeah, I have one of my kids, uh, my oldest, Joshua, is uh, five and a half, and he's in T-ball. And Jenny and I, we, we made sure we put him uh, on a team that would not meet or play on Sunday. And even if they did, we were not going to go to those things. Now, this is the first time I've ever had any of my kids going to a sports thing, so I thought, I wasn't sure what it was going to be like. I knew I would enjoy it. I knew he'd enjoy it. So I've been going to all the games with him, and it is, man, it is fun. I love, love to watch him play and be part of that, be part of that. Well, I can now see why some parents miss Sunday to take their kids to these sporting events. Multiple reasons. One, it's fun. Boy, you, you, you love to see the joy on your kid's face. You want to see your kid excel. You don't want to see your kid taken off the team. You want your kid to be able to get a scholarship you know, on baseball, basketball, football, whatever it might be. And so you see it as a good thing. No one's going to say, oh, it's a bad thing to go and, and be with your kid and have your kid involved in sports. And Satan knows that too. And if he can, if he can use that to keep you from going, and then he will. And so he destroys us from the inside by getting us to do what we think are good things to keep us away from God. Because there's a lot of people in this world who are good people, who do good things, but they are not in the Lord. And when the Lord comes back, they will not go to heaven. He's not... Satan's goal is not to try to make you more sinful. He just wants to take you out of the hand of God. Now, I kind of went a little longer on that than I intended. Uh, I want us to do a series uh, of studies uh, on this radio program the next couple of days about America and what made America great. Why was our, why was our country made so great? Well, let this first lesson is going to start by kind of giving us a, a brief history of how our country started. Back in the 1600s, uh, those from Europe who colonized excuse me, America had different visions of what kind of nation this was going to be. So to the south, over what we would consider the first colonies, but before they were, so this was in the 1600s, to the, in the southern part, one of the first settlements by the Europeans was in what was known as Jamestown. That's Virginia. Jamestown, Virginia. You can still visit the settlement today. Beautiful, well-kept memorial. Uh, experience those first few settlers. But what you might not know was that this settlement was an absolute, complete failure for years. For 40 years, in those 1600. 40 years, the settlers there were almost entirely dependent upon England for their survival. And there were two very basic reasons for this. Number one, God was not important to them. There was only one church building, I should say, one building dedicated to the worship service, and it was rarely attended by that, that small group of people. 
And number two, work was considered beneath many of those settlers. See, the Europe of that day held the idea that work was degrading. The rich and powerful rarely stooped to dirtying their hands with common tasks because it wasn't done. Uh, Those duties were reserved for the lower class. In fact, the idea of a powerful, privileged class of individuals who didn't need to work was reinforced by the teachings of the church of that day. Many of the original settlers at Jamestown, they were what what were called aristocrats of the favored class. And so they were accustomed to expecting others to do the work for them. That might have worked out if there was enough others to do those common tasks. But as it was, there weren't enough workers to plant sufficient crops to support everyone who lived in Jamestown. Therefore, food was scarce. So what did they do? Well, once food became scarce, uh, uh, these Europeans couldn't get enough. They would couldn't you know wait for all the food to get there from England. That would take a long time. So they'd just take it from the Indians. Steal it, sometimes even kill to get what they needed. And so you can imagine that didn't sit real well with the surrounding tribes. Now, to the north of them, there was another colony at what is now known as Plymouth, Massachusetts. Now, this colony was made up of pilgrims that were had been forced, uh, kind of forced out of Europe. They had lived in England in the beginning. Uh, England started the Church of England, and everyone had to be part of that. They didn't want to be, so they left England, and they went to, I think it was the Netherlands. And Netherlands was letting all these religions come in, and they said, look, you guys can uh, worship however you want. We're not going to force a state religion upon you. So they went there, began to raise their family as Puritans, as uh, pilgrims and Puritans. But they began to see all these other religions coming in. They got worried that their children would get influenced by those other ones. They didn't want that, so they wanted to find a place where they could get away and raise their children as Puritans, these pilgrims. So they packed up, they sold everything, they got a ship and got a a guy to lead them, and they came all the way over here to America so they could raise their family as pilgrims, as these Puritans. Uh, So... They kind of got forced out, and initially the Pilgrim settlement there nearly failed, as it did in Jamestown. The reason? They signed a contract when they started the colony. For the first two years, they called for a socialist form of government. There was no private property. Everyone was required to work together for the common good. All goods and food were shared by everybody. It wasn't sold. Now, that sounds good. And sometimes you may hear in school or or, or in other places that, you know, communism or socialism works in small groups. And and you know what? That's not true. I mean, these people, it didn't work for them in Plymouth. And we have all this written down in history. We we have the the evidence that these things did happen. So because of the social makeup there at Plymouth, many of these colonists began to realize they didn't have to work very hard in order to be eligible for sharing from the common stocks. And so they didn't work very hard. And sometimes they didn't work at all. So after two years of socialism, their little community was on the verge of collapse. By the third year, Governor Bradford 
began to realize things were not working, and so he ordered a change in the rules. Each colonist was given their own plot of land to work private property. They could keep what they grew or sell it to others, and if the colonists didn't work, they didn't eat. That's very biblical. You don't work, you don't eat. So the pilgrims had another advantage over Jamestown. Uh, unlike the citizens of Jamestown, God there was uh, at Plymouth was at the center of their society. And because God was at the center of their theology, so was the Bible. And the Bible taught that labor was not common. Work was a good thing and something that honored and pleased God. From which... The pilgrims came, had long before discovered that scriptures approved of this, this labor, and, and by just going back to the Bible and asking questions, they discovered that work was ordained by God. Back Genesis chapters 1 and 2, found that God himself worked, created the world in six days. And on the seventh day he rested. Rested from what? All his work. And on the basis of this, God taught that his people should also work six days and rest on the seventh. And so if God worked at creating the world, then work had to be a good thing. They also found that the Bible taught that work was not a punishment. Now granted, God uh, brought punishment on Adam and all mankind by when he said that because of their sin, the work would be more harsh, fraught with a lot more difficulty. But in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 to 25, we read this. There is nothing better for man than to eat and drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment without him? Here's the lesson from that. When God works in a person's life, Work can be and should be enjoyed. God believed work was so important that he even instructed us how we could serve our employers so, so that we would uh, we honored him. Uh, they would read passages probably, Ephesians 6, there 5 and 7, where God wanted us to do our common labor as if we were serving him. He says there, Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will render service as to the Lord and not to men. Once the Bible view or biblical view of manual labor was put into practice, these pilgrims developed what became known as the Protestant work ethic. Now that was just a label they gave to this. The Protestant work ethic was a dedication to work that was based on their theology. That work ethic in turn led to what we now call, here it is, here's the big word. You ready? I'm going to give you a word. You've heard this word before and this is going to be a shocker. <laughs> because the way this word is used, it's so, in our world today, they consider it so evil. The, what was known as the Protestant work ethic that we just I just described how it came about led to what we now call today capitalism. That's right. Capitalism. 
It's hard to understand now, but back in that day, the concept of capitalism was virtually unknown. It was unknown. Now, there were those who could make money, as they did today, but it was a a much rarer phenomenon. The middle class was a fledgling concept. The poor rarely, rarely had the opportunity to dig their way out of poverty. But once capitalism took root, the middle class grew rapidly. Wealth was easier for the lower classes to create. Wealth for themselves and for their families. Capitalism is one of the most efficient forms of generating wealth known to man. Now, so you know, uh, there is nothing wrong with making money. There is nothing wrong with that. When God put Adam and Eve on this earth, he put them in what we, we know as the Garden of Eden. Now, names weren't just flippantly given out like, like we kind of do today. They had meaning behind them. Eden means paradise. It was paradise. God wanted them to enjoy what they had. When God blessed the Israelites, he gave them everything they would need and some. He wanted them to enjoy life. He wants us, his children, to enjoy life. Nations who have endorsed and encouraged capitalism become wealthy nations. And capitalism has been the most powerful influences in making America a great nation. Once capitalism took root with these pilgrims, that American engine of industry was virtually assured. A German socialist named Max Weber concluded that societies having more Protestants are those that have a more developed capitalist economy. Now, I'm not going to get into doctrine or anything, but I'm just... These people had a work ethic, not just Protestant, people who were centered on God. Not that they were doing everything right, according to the Bible, okay? They were just had a God-fearing heart. Capitalism and the Protestant work ethic, which spawned it, were instrumental in making America into a powerful industrial nation. And capitalism started out being based on that biblical view that the work of the common laborer was a noble thing. Work is good. Work is godly. And that Protestant work ethic was based on the Bible, teaching us that God loved labor and laborers. Now, now this is important because pure capitalism, okay? Pure capitalism that exists without that exists without a Christian influence can and will become an empty shell. When Christianity is taken out of the picture of capitalism, what are you left with? Greed and selfishness. Okay? So when you get down to it, capitalism's greatest weaknesses are the same things that plague every aspect of our lives. Greed and selfishness. Everything has a weakness. That's the weakness of capitalism. And that's because those two things, greed and selfishness, are powerful motivators. If there's money or power to be had, someone will find a way to cheat or steal or sue to get it. That's just the way it is in this world because this world is filled with sin. But God tells us, 
I called you to be different. You are to be salt and light in a world that is often foul-tasting and dark. God, God calls us out of that selfishness. He's calling us out of that greed to be his people. And so that means he calls us to live in such a way that these sins don't control us. And of course, the most obvious group to have problems with selfishness and greed would seem to be the rich. Um, now, now, don't, now, if you're rich... And that, you know what? Let me see. Who are the rich? Well, the rich are going to be us. All of us. According to the U.S. government, myself and my family, I have a, my wife is a stay-at-home mom. I have uh, three kids, one more on the way. And according to the statistics of government, I am not just in poverty. I'm extreme poverty. I'm so poor. I'm sorry, but no, I'm not. I am not poor. If you're a good steward with your money, if you take good care of the things you have, you are blessed. You are so blessed in this world and in this country. You have everything you need. If you live here and you're homeless in this, in this country, you are far better off than most people in the world. We are a blessed country. We are all rich. We are rich. So let me, let me turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6. My Bible here. I mean, get turned over. Chapter 6, verses six to 17 to 19. Listen to what Paul writes here. Instruct those who are rich in this present world. Now, he's not saying rich spiritually, but monetarily. Rich in this present world. Not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Life indeed. What God tells the rich is this, use your money for me. After all, wealth comes from him anyway. It's his. First Chronicles 29.12 tells us wealth and honor come from God. First Chronicles 29.12. Use your money for me. That's what he's saying. You can control that selfishness. You can control that greed. Money is not the problem. It is the root of all evil, but it is not evil. It's the love of money that's the difficult thing. And if it causes you to stumble, if it causes you to become greedful or selfish, get rid of it and give it away. But dealing with selfishness and greed isn't just a problem for the rich. Ephesians 4.28 he who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. What he's saying there is, look, if you steal, and you're looking at somebody and say, hey, what you have, I want, but I don't want to work for it, so I'm going to steal your stuff. Well, you need to change your attitude. You need to renew that mind. Go get yourself a job and start making money. But since you have a problem with greed and selfishness, you need to take that money and share it. Not all of it. He's not saying that. But they need to share it with others so that they can have the proper attitude toward wealth. It's all about renewing the mind. Renew the mind. It doesn't make any difference who you are. God calls you to live your life differently. Are you an employee? Work for your employer like you would be working for God. Work good. 
or with good, with rend, uh, uh, will, excuse me, let me read that over again, Ephesians 6, 7. With good will render service as to the Lord and not to men. And if you're an employer, still you're working for God. And masters, do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. And if you don't have a job, or you're, you're just not sure, what about all these other things? Colossians 3.23 makes up for that. Whatever you do, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Who are you doing it for? If it's for self, selfishness. If it's for God, it changes everything. And that's how this country started. That's why we were so blessed. That's why capitalism worked so well, because God was at the center of it. We, used to, well, we still are a country that we give away a lot of our wealth. We give it away. We want to help people. We want to help people. And we still do. We were not lost. We were not down the road of destruction. We're moving in a bad way. We're moving away from God. But it's not lost yet. You don't look at Israel and all the times when they would come and fall and, uh, with, throughout the kings. It, they would be, I mean, really far gone, sacrificing their own children to these false idols. But they were able to come back. Now, granted, it kept happening, and finally God sent them off to captivity to whip them into shape. And we keep thinking, that's going to happen to us soon. I don't think we're that far gone yet, but we're close. We're close. We need to renew the mind. My point is this. God made America great. And he made it great because Americans learned the value of godly labor. And God can do the same things in our lives if we make him our employer and if we do everything we do for him. When we do that, others pay attention because they realize God has done something powerful in our lives and they may want that for themselves as well. Martin Luther King Jr. once said this, If a man is called to be a street sweeper, Okay, a street sweeper. Now, he's not talking about today's age where you have these mechanical uh, 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 vehicles that would uh, sweep the streets. He's got a guy with a broom out there on the streets sweeping. If a man is called to be a street sweeper, he should sweep streets even as Michelangelo painted or, or as Beethoven composed music or Shakespeare wrote poetry. He should sweep streets so well that all the hosts of heaven and earth will pause and say, Here lived a great street sweeper who did his job well. If you are a Christian, I don't care what your job is, I don't care how much you hate it, do it so well that people notice it. And I'll think that man has a work ethic. And they begin to notice your life and the opportunities that your God will flourish. I'm out of time. Please join us on www.nvcoc.net to find out more. I love you very much, and so does God. Thank you. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.